by saying uh, shalom to everyone. Uh, this is how I start every pitch. Even when we were on stage in Singapore, I started the presentation by shalom. And uh, it, it's really funny because many people remember that word. Usually they, they remember the first word, not the rest of the pitch. So I, I'm Dota Mir, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Hardall Food Tech, and we are the first in the world to grow grasshoppers on commercial scale. And we do that because grasshoppers are nature's most efficient protein source. They are healthier for humans and more sustainable to grow. A little bit background about myself. Well, I was born in a kibbutz in Israel, and uh, my grandfather was the chairman of that kibbutz. He established two companies. One is, is called Galam. Galam is the largest food uh, corn processor in Israel, and he was the first CEO of that company. And later he established a company called Amba, which is the largest feed producer in Israel. And he served on the management, management team of that company. So you can, you can understand that some industry, agriculture and food and nutrition are in my veins. However, I give most of the credit actually to my grandmother because she was the cook of that kibbutz and she was used to wake me up at 4 a.m. when I was around five years old and drag me to the kitchen to crack thousands of eggs. That's really my inner passion to improve the lives of families and children through better nutrition. And that's, that has been my life for the past 15 years as an entrepreneur. One of the things that I remember from being a very young boy at the kibbutz uh, was a story they used to tell me. Uh, in the 1950s, Israel used to suffer from locust swarms flying in from Africa and just destroying all the crops, eating all the crops. The kibbutz members used to run to the fields with pots and pans to make a lot of noise and try to, and try to scare the grasshoppers. At the same time, they saw other Jews, Yemenite and Moroccan Jews, coming to the same fields with sacks, collecting tons of grasshoppers and eating them. So that story, as a young boy, taught me that grasshoppers are food for many people around the world and that they are also kosher. So I guess you all know that global demand for protein is expected to double over the coming decades, and that's a result of the growing, in, growing population around the world and also a change in eating habits. The Asian and the African markets are following up the European and uh, American markets, consuming more and more protein, actually more than we need. But the impact is significant because existing protein sources are reaching the limitations. Meat-based protein is harmful to the environment. The meat industry contributes 25% of greenhouse gas emissions around the globe. That's, that's incredible. Think about doubling the, the demand, that, that's pretty shocking. And the plant-based protein requires heavy processing and are not as healthy as we need them to be. So you can understand that there is a race today to develop alternative protein sources that will be healthier for humans and more sustainable to grow. However, these new sources that are being discussed suffer from their own set of limitations. Let me give you two examples. Algae requires heavy processing, suffer from, suffer from very distinct taste and flavor, and very expensive to produce. And cultured meat is still years away, away for becoming commercially viable. What we do have around us and is known for many years as a very efficient protein source are insects. Now, many companies around the globe, and you can find products in Holland, insect in France, agri-protein from South Africa, believe that insects will be a good source to feed other animals. I think they got it wrong because of two reasons. One, because it's insane. Insects provide such a high nutrient-rich content feeding them to other animals and 
receiving a lower quality product is just insane to do. Second reason is you can grow insects efficient enough to compete with fish meal, which is the existing source of feed. So these companies are now, they raised a lot of money. Some of them raised over $200 million and they established very large production facilities and they all share one thing, which is negative gross margins. And that's not a good thing for your business, losing money. So we decided to do, and this is what this uh, presentation will be focusing on, on insects to feed humans. The leading insect in that market in terms of farming are crickets. You can find 20,000 cricket farms in Thailand alone and cricket farms all over uh, the rest of the continents. But crickets have three major problems. First one, crickets do not fit intensive farming. Crickets are individuals and they tend to die at high densities. Uh, so they just do not fit intensive farm. You can grow large quantities of them efficiently. Second problem, crickets suffer for very distinct taste and flavor. And we are in the food industry and it's almost impossible to mask the taste and flavor when you have 3% of crickets protein in your products. And the last part, well, they're not kosher. So that's a big issue as well. So after this long introduction, we believe that, and we know that grasshoppers are the ultimate solution and they provide 10 distinct advantages over the uh, alternative protein sources I just showed you. Let's start with the first one superior nutritional content. Grasshoppers, grasshoppers contain over 70% protein with no processing, the animal as it is, all essential amino acids and high uh, nutrient content such as omega-3, omega-6, iron, zinc, and folic acid. What they do have a very little of are saturated fat and cholesterol. Second advantage, Grasshoppers have almost neutral and uh, taste flavor, making them the perfect ingredient for the food and beverage industry to work with. The good thing about our products is that you can tell that there are grasshoppers inside, and we'll get to that. Third, best fit for intensive farming. Grasshoppers have a tendency to swarm, which makes them best suited for intensive farming. We can grow large quantities of them, dense together, and you probably are familiar with the locust swarms. That's the phenomenon of grasshoppers swarming. Next one, sustainability. 20 times more efficient than beef, reducing greenhouse gas emissions by 98.8%, reducing water consumption by 1,000 times to produce one kilogram of protein, and reducing arable land usage by 1,500 times uh, and more. And of course, we use 100% of the animal, wherein other animals use 50% or less. I think number five is very exciting. And from the preliminary research we are doing in Israel and Germany, we already know that a diet based on grasshopper protein can support the growth of children, can improve our metabolism by reducing sugar and cholesterol levels, meaning they can actually prevent diabetes, and they even reduce body fat. Other independent research showed that they can cure cancer or at least uh, prevent cancer. Uh, improve mental systems, gut health, and many, many more aspects. And we are uh, expanding our research and deepening it to learn more about all the health benefits. Let's go to advantage. Let's talk about the market and the opportunity. That's actually advantage number six. 2.5 billion people across the world consume insects as part of their diet. The most widely eaten insect in the world are grasshoppers. They are considered a delicacy across Asia, in uh, Japan, Thailand, 
Cambodia, Indonesia, Saudi Arabia, across Africa, in, uh, for instance, in Uganda, and Central America. The photo here is from Mexico. Chapulines is a national delicacy. Not only do they consider the delicacy, they enjoy very high demand and prices. In Africa, double the price of beef, pound per pound, which is unbelievable. And it gets even better in Saudi Arabia, $300 per kilogram. Uh, next advantage, grasshoppers are the only kosher insect that are mentioned on, in the Bible on Leviticus as kosher, par, not dairy, not meat. They are mentioned in the Quran as halal for Muslims. It was the food of the Muhammad, the prophet. And they are even mentioned in the New Testament. John the Baptist used to, used to eat grasshoppers, locusts with honey. And remember that fact, I'll get to that a little bit later. Advantage number eight is regulation. Food regulation is one of the greatest challenges you can find out there when you're trying to launch a new product. The only insect that is recognized as food for human, humans and food a feed for animals are grasshoppers. They are approved as food all over the world. Other insects don't. The main reason for that is actually advantage number nine, and that's because grasshoppers are probably the safest and cleanest food product you can find. Sorry, grasshoppers are picky eaters. They eat only fresh grass with no pesticides, no fertilizers. Those, are, those will kill them. And as a result, we just, you receive a high, uh, super safe and clean product. And the last one, and I believe that some of the people that are listening are vegans or vegetarians, so that is a message for all of them, because grasshopper farming is more humane than any vegan product you can find. If you're eating a plant-based diet, the farmers that grew the plants for you had to use pesticides and fertilizers to kill all the insects that come to the plants. Those, those insects died in a nasty way in the fields. No one used them, they just got wasted. And they, and, and they, are, they also contaminated the soil and the water sources because of the use of chemicals. In our farms, we're not using any pesticides and any fertilizers. And even the way we, and we use 100% of the animals that we grow, nothing goes to waste. And even the way we harvest the grasshoppers at the end of the process is done according to the European Union recommendation of minimal harm done to animals. These are cold blood creatures. We freeze, we, we drop the temperature, they fall asleep, and only then we collect them and freeze them. So there is no stress in the process besides the fact that we kill the animal at the end. So vegans and vegetarians that listen, I'm calling you to join us and become more aware of the environment and the, and the, and the planet. Thanks so, so much. <laughs> um, what we do at Heart of Food Tech, we develop innovative methods and technologies to farm grasshoppers on commercial scale. There's a lot of technology involved. Let me speak about the three major pillars of it. First one, climate control environment that enable us to grow the grasshoppers year round at a very high and constant quality. We control the temperature, the humidity, the photoperioda, the light, uh, the structure of the cage that answers some of their biological needs, the density in the cages and the feed we provide them. And eventually they become an ingredient in the food industry, it has to be constant and that's really hard to do when you're not using a closed environment. Second part, accelerated incubation of the eggs. In the wild, it takes 40 weeks for the grasshopper eggs to hatch. In our incubators, only two weeks. 
and we are also synchronizing the hatching of the eggs to have the same age grasshoppers in the fattening facility. This means that instead of having one cycle of grasshoppers per year, we have over 10 cycles per year, and that's much more efficient. Last part, innovative cage infrastructure that enable us to grow them vertically, uh, increase production per square feet by 10 times, and at the same time, keep well ventilated and sanitized environment for the grasshoppers, meaning we are able to remove the feces on a daily basis and we control the humidity. Let me go back to the competition, the crickets, the mealworms and the black soldier flies I mentioned earlier. With the infrastructure other farmers are using, they cannot remove feces and they cannot control the humidity. I believe some of you visited the chicken coop or at least uh, drove next to one of them and really appreciated the horrible smell that comes out of the chicken coop. Um, cricket farms, black soldier fly, mealworm farms smell much worse than a chicken coop. It's horrible. If you'll ever go and enter into one of our farms, well, it smells like a greenhouse. You smell the fresh grass, which is the grasshopper feed. And the result, that's the result of removing, removing the feces and controlling the humidity. There is no release of ammonia, which means it's safer for the employees and the animals. And with that technology, we are already operating four facilities in Northern Israel and producing large quantities of grasshoppers. The size of the team uh, today is 22 persons with uh, an experienced uh, management team. I would like to say one thing about the, the team. From day one, we made a decision that 15%, at least 15% of our workforce will be persons with disabilities. This is not a, an easy thing for a startup to handle, but we are really happy to uh, meet that target. And we are actually today looking into the opportunity to increase it to 20 and even 25% of our workforce as we grow. Uh, and it's, it's a good message for the entire personnel and actually it benefits the company in so many ways. So we are really happy about that. The market opportunity is huge. On the left, you can see a report by Barclays Bank uh, that forecasts the insect pro edible insect protein market in Europe and the US to reach $8 billion by the end of the decade. I had the pleasure to meet the uh, team in Barclays Bank in London that, uh, that uh, published that report. And I believe they got it wrong because the problem in the market today is not the demand, it's the supply. Since cricket farmers are losing crops because of the animals and the, the infrastructure they're using, they cannot keep up with the demand and the market is not growing as fast as it can. Our technology can enable the market grow much faster and reach higher goals. And I'll show you why I'm so confident about the uh, demand in, 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 a, in a matter of a few slides. We started selling two years ago, small quantities of whole grasshoppers and grasshopper powder as an ingredient to food producers and restaurants across Europe and the US, and we were not able to keep up with the demand. Um, restaurants all over Europe and the US serve the grasshoppers as a dish. Uh, and if you go online, you'll be able to see photos of dishes the chefs came up, came up with. I think I have a few more of them uh, along the presentation. Um, and uh, we work with other uh, food producers to develop innovative food products. However, we believe that the future for Hargol is finished products focusing on the added value of uh, values of grasshoppers, and I'll show you uh, what we believe in. 
we identified several categories in the market where we could locate early adopters that are willing to try the grasshoppers as they are, overcoming the yak factor that most of you will probably have, and at the same time, have a will to pay very high prices for the grasshoppers. These are the three major categories we are looking at. The first one, sports protein powders. We already have some uh, research showing that the grasshopper protein have the potential to improve the performance of athletes. So this is something any athlete, and I'm talking as a former member of the Israeli national middle distance running team, whatever uh, people will tell me that will improve my performance, I will eat or drink. So that's one. The second one, nutritional supplements, enjoying all the health benefits I mentioned of grasshoppers, and we do that in the form of a gummy candy. Um, the gummies are the fastest growing category in nutritional supplements across the US market, already reaching $5.7 billion, um, and $4 billion out of it are gummies for adults, providing all the nutrients they need. So that's a fast growing category, and if you look at it, that's a honey flavored gummy with grasshopper nutrients, and it feels just fine. When you eat it, you can tell that you have grasshoppers inside. Last category, meat replacement. Uh, my guess is that most of you heard about Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods offering plant-based burgers and sausages and other meat products. Their technology is, is unbelievable. It's an, it's an amazing technology take, to take plants and make you feel like you're eating meat. However, I believe they took that, that technology too far, meaning the goal is eventually to produce a healthier and more sustainable product. Now, when you replace a single ingredient product burger that is made of beef with 17 ingredients product that are highly processed, you're not getting a healthier product and you're not getting a more sustainable product. So what they really say is that we're not killing animal, which is again, not completely true. Well, they're not killing cows, but they do kill insects in the, in the process. Billions of insects die in that process. So it's not healthier, it's not more sustainable. And eventually I believe that consumers will be more aware. And as, a, as an example, I can tell you that John Mackey, the founder and CEO of uh, Whole Foods Market, uh, published an article about um, six months ago saying Whole Foods Market were the first one to put those products on their shelves and they are the first one to take them off the shelves because they will not serve unhealthy food to their customers. So consumers are getting eventually the message and those companies will have to uh, improve their products and make them healthier. So our strategy in that field is not to uh, produce a whole uh, grasshopper sausage or burger, we are looking into a hybrid product, a mixture of beef or poultry with grasshoppers, making the product healthier and more sustainable. We received a grant from the Ministry of Health in Israel and the Innovation Authority, and we already have a, we have a prototype that you can see. The advantage in that product, beside the health and the sustainability issues are, first, it's the same texture and flavor uh, as any other good sausage. Um, and the technology or the processing is unbelievably simple. You just mix the ingredients together and you get the product. No additives added. Now, since Hargold is focused on farming the grasshoppers, developing these new products can uh, shift our focus. And once you lose focus, you probably will lose your business. 
So to get to those products, we believe in joint ventures and we are, uh, we are um, collaborating with leading food producers in each one of those categories from Europe, from the US, from Israel and Asia. Uh, they are the one developing the products. We own the IP for that development and eventually we are, they are the one manufacturing. We are the one distributing the product along with their uh, distribution channels. So those are the joint ventures we already have. Um, and, we are, and we are developing more. Let me give you a few more examples of joint ventures to be just in a, in a pilot stage. With Nestle, we're looking into porridges. With Coca-Cola, we're looking into a beverage. Adeka from Japan, snacks. Glambia from the US, energy drinks and many, many more uh, opportunities. We've been approached by so many food companies, but we are working on joint ventures only in categories that we find exciting and profitable. When we started six years ago, um, and we tried to raise some money in Israel, I was walking around Tel Aviv trying to talk to investors. Most of the responses were, yuck, you're disgusting, you're weird, you're too exotic for us. I learned a few things. One is um, the Israeli market, as much as Israel is known as the uh, startup nation, uh, we are focused on other categories such as IT, cyber, uh, medical devices, and more. Food tech and ag tech were not really part of the startup nation. That is one. Second one, the grasshoppers are so exotic out of the uh, food tech category, it, it's not going to be easy. So we realized that we need to change the perception towards grasshoppers, not only for consumers that we want them to buy the product, but also towards potential investors and business partners. So, part, so our strategy was to generate as much PR as possible. And we actually used the advantage that we have a super exotic story that the reporters really loved and shared a lot of articles. Part of that strategy was joining international innovation competitions, such as Get In The Ring. And it took us about two years after we got, we learned how to qualify and, and win those competitions. And today we won, until today, we won 15 innovation competitions uh, in total. I can tell you those competitions brought in investors, helped us close uh, Get In The Ring Singapore when we won that competition. That was the final nail uh, into closing a funding round. And some of the competitions even provided us about half a million dollars in cash prizes. So that was a real support in the business when we were trying to grow. As I, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we are collaborating with chefs all over the world. Any chef that approaches us receives samples of the grasshoppers of the powder and they come up with amazing dishes. Uh, and I, I think what, what's uh, funny or fun about what you see here is trying to guess in which country uh, the chef came up with the product. It's not easy, but you can see here photos from recipes published in Asia, Israel, Europe, and the US. Uh, and it's pretty amazing to see them. As I mentioned, the international media really loved the story. I think we have, we've been on um, different media channels about 500 times in the past four years, and, and still they are coming back for more stories. And for any entrepreneur, I believe this is a very important part of your business. 
you need people to know about you and the only way to do it is uh, collaborate with the media, tell a very good story, um, be able to come up with a new story every time because reporters love a new story and they want to have the edge. And if you're able to do that, you'll get a lot of free publicity, uh, which is worth eventually a lot of money. As Thomas mentioned earlier, we closed the funding round about a couple of months ago, uh, and in total raised $5 million. Uh, the lead investors are Trendlines from Israel. That was the first investor that believed in us uh, um, early in early 2016. They added serious ventures from Singapore. That's a fund investing in food of the future. In a later round, uh, we added SLJ Investment from Holland. Uh, that's the family office fund of René Dahan, the former chairman of ExxonMobil, a very small company. Uh, in the last round, we added AgriLine from the UK. That's a very large investor investing in agriculture and Israeli innovation. And part of winning competitions, we added WeWork as one of our investors. So we have a very nice list of investors that are supporting future uh, investments in the company and also attract new investors to the company. Now, when I talked about um, early adapters and the ability to generate uh, revenues, uh, we did a lot of thinking, which product and what market will be the first one for us? And eventually we decided to take a completely different road than I showed you earlier. We decided to focus on the theological story of the grasshoppers. It's the only food or unique food that is mentioned in all of the three books, the Quran, the Bible, and the New Testament. And what, what is more exciting about grasshoppers is that tradition of eating kosher grasshoppers for the Jewish people actually uh, was lost about 2,000 years ago. Not many Jews are able to uh, identify the kosher grasshoppers, and as a result, it is not, it is not considered kosher today. So, we took a very, um, uh, let's call it a big challenge, trying to bring back a lost tradition, uh, what in Hebrew we call Masora, uh, uh, back to life. And on Monday, I can tell you, it's, it's still not uh, public. On Monday, the leading national uh, kosher authority called Rabbanut in Israel will authorize grasshoppers as kosher to the entire Jewish people. And this will be followed up by Christians all over the world. So it's going to be a huge uh, media event. We expect millions of, of people to, um, to be exposed to that story. So let me tell you what we did with that brand. We decided to focus on the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, according to uh, the New Testament, ate grasshoppers with honey. That was his food. And since for the first time there were, there were Israeli locusts that are available, and of course we have Israeli honey, we developed a line of products that included Israeli locust, honey, and other ingredients mentioned in the Bible. And we offer them to the evangelical community in the US. You can say it's a niche. It's an 80 million people niche. It's a huge niche. <laughs> and these are the products that we are offering and we launched that category exactly two weeks ago and the responses are just unbelievable 
You know, when, usually when you think about early adopters, all of us, you think about the young people, the millennials, uh, the Y or Z generation that are looking for healthier, more sustainable products that are willing to take chances, improve their health. No one thinks about 70 and 80 year old people that are looking for an exciting food product. And so we did something that is completely different from common thinking. I don't have it here because I don't want to share it, but the responses from customers in the US market is just unbelievable. People are writing us emails and calling us saying, I was never, uh, I, I don't remember, my, uh, remember being so excited about a product for many, many years. And they just sent us email, email saying they love us and they want to support us. And we are just overwhelmed by the demand and interest in the products. Um, and one more thing about it, if you think completely different, well, the first product is of course the energy bars. Uh, the gummies I showed you earlier will be ready for market in a couple of months. Uh, I believe that will be the number one product, but right now we launched three flavors of energy bars. And from testing the market in the last 12 months, we learned that once consumers uh, are learning about the flavors of the grasshoppers, of, that you can feel the grasshoppers in the energy bars, they want the real thing. So as part of the campaign, we offered a jar, you can see the jar here with grasshoppers, and this is the number one product that we are selling. The jars are 47% uh, of the sales that we are doing in the US right now. It's unbelievable. Could you believe that the 70-year-old or, or an 80-year-old person will order a jar of grasshoppers to eat, just like that? So that's the story. Of course, uh, the story was accompanied with a media launch. Uh, we are just swamped by uh, evangelical media coming to Israel to film us. I think we have about twice a week we're spending time with uh, TV crews from all over the world filming the story. and. Uh, that's the story of Hagel Futek. I try to keep it as short as possible and open the stage for questions. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much, Dror. Uh, amazing story. The question uh, that, uh, that your story triggers, and of course, it's an amazing journey. Uh, but one of the things is that you present in the beginning is the uh, estimate by Barclays Bank on the amount of protein that uh, there's a lack of capacity for and that they are predicting a certain amount of protein coming from insects, correct? Did I get that? Well, on the graph, you saw only the insect protein, edible insect protein. Yeah. Aren't you changing that graph with all the other uh, ways of producing and products with the protein? Absolutely. Um, first, when you look at the protein market, that's, that's a huge market. That's over $2 trillion. So that's, that's a huge market. And I believe that all the alternatives I showed you will be part of that market. It's just a, ma it's a, just a matter of how, how, how much each category will take or each protein alternative will take out of the new market. Uh, it is predicted that 33% of the uh, protein market will eventually be, uh, will be from alternative novel protein sources. So that's one. Second thing is, as you said, once you have innovative food products that provide the insect protein in a way that consumers cannot feel. You're overcoming the yak factor, that is one. And the second one, you have the big players taking part in that market. For example, 
Nestle already announced that they have Doritos with insect protein in the U.S. And IKEA announced that they will they will replace the meatballs in the restaurants from beef to insects to become more sustainable. You can understand that the market will grow much faster. The problem for Nestle and IKEA is that there is no insect farmer that that can that can fill the, their demand. Exactly. So, so what what is surprising to me is that you describe that you are focusing uh, on the production role, right? So you said, I want to focus. And so for developing new products, uh, I go to other parties um, and, and create joint ventures because we are uh, focusing on being effective with our technology in producing the, uh, the protein, right? Did I get that correctly? Correct. And let me just say that I believe that we have two advantages. The first one is the farming technology, as you mentioned. That's our can you elaborate we can make... a little bit on that? Because what is the farming technology? Oh, I, I had a slide. I talked about it. I can go the, back to that, that slide. Making it colder and uh, doing the climate control and that thing? And, uh, exactly. You, you know, uh, what I told you about the potential of grasshoppers in the market is known by many companies. And many companies try developing grasshopper farming as we did. Uh, we were just, uh, we just had a little bit more luck than they had. Uh, but I can tell you, it's, it's not easy to grow grasshoppers on commercial scale. It's really complicated. You need a great team and you need a lot of luck to make it happen. Um, I know, we know of many companies that are trying to accomplish what we're doing, but we still believe that we have about four to five years advantage in the market compared, compared to our closest competitors. Yeah. Um, but once you get it, once you do it right, scaling up is, uh, is super efficient and we are scaling up. We are building more facilities as we speak. Is that so, also what you're doing with the funds that you got from the market uh, with the last round you closed? Exactly. The funds are used mainly to expand production capacity and they are also used to uh, finish the development of new innovative food products and of course marketing efforts. Okay. Because that, that was the question I had with the role, because if there is such a demand already on the market, then why bother with the joint ventures and all the activities to create products and, and oh. create markets where you could really focus on uh, uh, scaling the production capacity if there's such a demand. So I find it interesting for you as an entrepreneur to make choice. And it almost seems like it's a non-money driven uh, choice, but more of a the wish for the creativity you also said uh, we choose for markets that we find exciting so it almost seems like there's an emotional part in that choice <laughs> instead of a financial one very important uh, comment you just made well this is business it's not about personal choice Let, let's take nestle for example and um, let's let's assume that they decide to um, go forward and make the porridge with us so they can uh, ask for a 3,000 tons order yet tomorrow. The problem is, and that is uh, actually why we're not working with IKEA, because IKEA approached us two years ago saying, we want to use your grasshoppers in our meatballs. And we told them no, because as much as the demand is endless, prices are super low. Those companies are usually working on mass production on very, very low costs, meaning they will not leave us any margins. In order and, and, and this and, and this step of uh, progress and this step of our business, we are still producing on a relatively small scale. We're not as efficient as we can be. We are developing the technology. We are building the capacity. We are improving the efficiency. 
and we do want to, to show some track record and we are also interested in generating some uh, profits, not only revenues. So for us, the focus on these niche markets generating much higher margins is actually uh, a business way of strengthening our part in that market, taking hold of the market and also providing us a new option to finance our expansion. Um, let's look at some- And just to give you a number, yeah. Um, when we when we sold in the market to restaurants and and food producers uh, and the small food producers, not the big ones, uh, we generated X euros per kilogram. When we are selling the finished products, we are generating 10x per kilogram of grasshoppers. That's I think that says everything. Ten times more with the same capacity production capacity. Not only we can make ten times more uh, profits we can make the company cash positive. And that's the big step forward. That's the thing I wanted to grab uh, my head around. It was that you have, on the one hand, you have the demand in the market. On the other hand, you still have the, the, the whole uh, figuring out how to produce it in an efficient manner, right? So that it becomes a profitable uh, business. Uh, like you started off also in your slides with the insects that were not profitable. There were, there were no profitable uh, uh, gross margins there but uh, you figured out a way how to make it more efficient and therefore it makes it possible, correct? Correct. Yeah, still then the, the, you see in the US, you introduced the energy bars and then people started buying the, uh, the yuck of <laughs> response fact, but the real uh, grasshoppers again. Um, there's a question from Felix in the chat. Um, as you said, a lot of people in Western countries are still disgusted by the idea of eating insects. How do you want to overcome the challenge to increase your market share? Well, that, that's, I think, one of the greatest challenges that we are facing. And I can tell you that first, as I mentioned, we are targeting the early adopters in niche, niches in the market, such as the evangelicals, sport uh, athletes, and more. So with those uh, consumers, the yak factor is not as challenging as, as others. And uh, we already see the results on that. And the second part, educating a market is a huge task, much bigger than uh, any task a, a startup could, uh, could face. And we believe it's, it's too big for us to assume that we will be able to educate the market. And this is, and again, one of the reasons that we are doing all these joint ventures. Working with the big guys, with their resources, it will be much easier to edu educate the market eventually. So that's our strategy towards that market. Cool. Second I'll, thing is, and, and the second thing is, um, we're not trying to come up with new products that are completely novel. We're trying to come up with products that are already selling in the, in the market, and we're just providing those with the added values of grasshoppers, meaning healthier and more sustainable. And there are consumers that are looking for those novel uh, products. Yeah, cool. Do you see a rise? A uh, question by Pablo also in the in the chat. Do you see a rise in competition because of the growing demand? Absolutely. If there is no competition, probably there is no market. And since we see such high margins, we believe that eventually we will have that competition. And, and we welcome any competition uh, you can find. For us, the way to face competition is one, generate more IP. We, are, we have some... Uh, things some developments some technology that we are developing that will uh, strengthen our ip 
and prevent uh, or block our competitors from doing some of the things that we are doing. Let me just give you an example. Uh, for crossbreeding and identification of mutations in the cages, we are developing new breeds of grasshoppers. And we already have two new breeds that grow 30% faster than the traditional or the wild catch grasshoppers with better taste and flavor. And when we presented those to our consumers or customers, the first question was, how much do you charge more for those amazing animals? So people are willing to pay more for a product that costs us much less to produce. And we have a few more things like that. So for us, the goal is to not only to, uh, is to increase the lead in terms of efficiency and scale and, um, and gap in the market. Yeah. So you're also checking for taste on the new uh, species because I, I, uh, you made me think like the, in the Netherlands, we have a name uh, for the chickens that are developed in such a way that they produce a lot of more meat and we call it the plof kip because <laughs> they go poof to the floor because yeah. they become too heavy that they, their legs can't carry them anymore. So, and, and, the, and the meat on them uh, tastes like shit because it's all water. Uh, so the, 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 so the, the question is, how can you uh, control the mutation of the species? That's also a question that the uh, 40 weeks to two weeks triggered. How is it possible uh, to get from 40 weeks to two weeks without damaging the species? Well, that's two completely different questions. Let me start by saying that we do look into the poultry industry and the beef industry. You know, they've been developing these animals that you mentioned, the large chickens for 10,000 years now. And we've been doing, doing it for only six years. So it will take us a very long time to reach a level that grasshoppers will not be able to walk or jump <laughs> and fall to the floor. Um, we try to keep the production healthy, and as natural as possible. We're not using antibiotics, we're not using pesticides or fertilizers. Because, you know, if, we, if you talk about the healthier and more sustainable product, don't destroy it by doing stuff like the one, the things that you mentioned with the chickens. Yeah. That is one. Uh, the second thing is um, what we did with the incubation of the eggs, we didn't change the animal. Grasshoppers and many insects have, a have, had a, have an amazing incubation mechanism that the eggs have, uh, are waiting for a signal that tells them that there, there is food outside. They wait for the right photoperioda, uh, length of day. They wait for the right humidity and temperature that tells them there is food outside and then they hatch. Let me give an example. In the past, seven years, we had five straight years of uh, drought in Israel. Since we had drought, um, uh, the insects did not have enough humidity in the soil where the eggs waited, and they did not hatch. So you didn't, we didn't have many insects for almost five years. In the last two years, we had a lot of, uh, a lot of rain, and what happened last year was amazing. We had swarms of butterflies and grasshoppers and many other insects in, in billions. Israel for two weeks was completely covered by butterflies. It was unbelievable. Everywhere you walked, you saw thousands of butterflies flying around. So that's a mechanism that is a natural mechanism that grasshoppers have. They can stay for many years in the ground and they can hatch within weeks. Now, 
If you know about that mechanism and you are lucky enough to find the right timing to set to, to uh, signal uh, the temperature, humidity, and photoperioda, well, they'll they will hatch. Uh, we started with 20 different grasshopper species that we collected in the Israeli wild. With four species, we were lucky enough to find that set of signals. So it's yeah. not that it, we didn't change the animal, we didn't change anything, we just used their natural mechanism. Okay, so when you say uh, modifying the grasshopper, uh, that's not the modifying of the grasshopper itself, it's, uh, it's uh, changing the circumstances in which they grow? Exactly. Everything is non-GMO, it's just providing the right conditions or let's call it the optimal conditions to reach what we want, meaning to make them grow faster or to have uh, an optimal nutrient content. Okay, cool. Let's, uh, I, what I would also like to look at is a little bit about what happened to you personally uh, while uh, developing this, because it could, I can imagine that, especially the beginning, it was frustrating as hell because of the yuck factor that you, you were in this. I really loved your story from your grandmother and your father, and uh, then you come up with the idea to do grasshopper. So you, you have this bold idea to look and use the grasshopper as a nutrition uh, to, get, to capture the protein from it. How was that received initially when you started uh, working on the idea? It was not received. <laughs> uh, I think most of the responses were just yuck. One point of time, my wife told me, uh, if you're going to pursue that idea, well, not with me. <laughs> Yet you made the choice to, to keep going and to push forward. Exactly. <laughs> but what, what I'm saying is many people just said, I'm completely crazy, that I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, and you know, but what, by the way, they are correct because I'm an accountant. I know, not, I know nothing about insects. So uh, they, I really didn't know what I was doing. However, I built the right team with a person that knew something about insects. And you know what? Every entrepreneur will have to face those reactions. Not everyone will like you. Maybe some will, maybe not as much as we did, but every day you'll hear people that are questioning what you're doing, that are making fun of you. And eventually it's about believing in yourself, being strong enough to push forward. Uh, I would say every day getting up in the, in, in the morning and, and pursuing this dream. Uh, however, if you are entrepreneur, you know that you never go to sleep. So you're not really waking up in the morning, you work day and night. And well, it's, it's a combination. I, I would say, don't listen to what they tell you, but you do have to listen. So it's a combination of listening to the right persons, taking in what you think is important, blocking the rest uh, from listening to them and just pursuing the dream, pushing forward. It's a marathon. Uh, usually when we read in the newspapers about an entrepreneur enjoying a, an exit, we think that's amazing. From day one, he got the best idea. Everything worked, worked for him. He raised the money he needed, finished developing the technology. Then someone was waiting for me, he sold the company. Well, no, it never happened. It, it's not happening this way. Being an entrepreneur, even for the most successful entrepreneur is pain day and night. You have to be strong. You have to be ready for failures and they happen every day. I can tell you that let's take the competitions that we won. You know, 15 times we won competition. I was on stage announced as the winner of a competition. Big celebration. You know, in Singapore, we opened the champagne bottle on stage. Well, every time I'm doing that, I'm completely aware to what's going on around us because I know that the next hit 
The next failure is just behind me. So I'm not really celebrating when we're getting to that stage. I know that the next failure, the next hit will take me down. I'm not, I'm ready for it. Day and night and whatever comes, we're ready. Yeah, cool. Um, so um, but why do it then? Uh, so if you know that even though I'm successful on stage and I get cheered and I get the respect and it seems to be working and then you always know that uh, bum, it's going to hit you uh, and uh, slap you in the face. Uh, uh, why do it? Well, I'll give you two answers for that. First one is the accountant answer. Let's look at the statistics. What is the chance to raise your first funding round? Less than 1%, that's the chance to raise your first funding round. And it's not, it's not improving as you go to the second and third, uh, meaning the chance to get to the third round, which is not your last, is almost zero. It's impossible. So don't do it. <laughs> that's, that's the accountant answer. Now, I'm an accountant, but still I'll, pro I'll provide uh, my personal uh, answer. If you have inner passion, if you really want to do something that is changing worlds and lives of people, go out and pursue it because as much as it, as it is hard as I described, it will keep you awake and energized day and night. This is something that I will never replace. The greatest fear that I have is to go back and work for a corporate. Cool. That would be death. A lot of our students can relate to that. That's why they chose to study at global school. The thing is, the question I have, uh, so you're in it for a purpose, right? An inner drive on why you want to take on this challenge? Well, first, let me say about the school. Well, when, when I'm talking to entrepreneurs, they always, always ask me, when is the best time to start your venture? And the answer is yesterday. Yep. Because you are going, you, you, I just, you know, explained the statistics, meaning you are going to fail many times before you become successful. So you have to start as early as possible because you need to accumulate all those uh, failures together and become successful. Uh, you know, when I'm talking about my kids uh, and they ask, people ask me, well, what is your vision for them? I'm telling them, well, uh, they can do whatever they want, but by the age of 14, they have to reach their first exit. Uh, so, <laughs> in meaning they have to start as early as possible and learn from their failures. That's the best way to learn. Yeah. Um, I'll ask Thomas to send you an application form for them. <laughs> um, uh, by the way, the kids were in, on stage with me several times. One of them even did part of the pitch. In one ah, so, so he already, uh, so he's uh, always already on his way to its exit. Uh, you know, have you ever been on stage did, uh, make, uh, doing your first pitch? Probably wanted to die before you went on stage, right? Absolutely. So I wanted them to experience that as early as possible. Yeah, cool. Because when they get to the stage, when I was on stage for the first time, they will be much more comfortable. It's not, you are not born into this. You have to develop as a person into this opportunity. Uh, when you see someone that is pitching amazing, well, he was not, he was not born like that. He practiced so many times. I learned that in an accelerator. Um, you know, in Israel, usually when we pitch, we practice the pitch one time in the morning before the competition, that's it. Uh, and I went to an accelerator in, in Ireland and they said 60 times, that's the golden number. Before you get on stage, practice the pitch 60 times. And they made me practice 60 times the pitch. 
I went on stage, I felt the, the change just like that. It was amazing. That's a good practical tip for our students. Uh, a lot yeah. of our students are now currently in the value creation module. We had this thing about uh, being stubborn as an entrepreneur, pushing forward where everybody is telling you that it won't work. Yeah. And at the same time, you said you have to listen to the market. This is a difficult thing to grasp until you understand. So the, can you elaborate a little bit on, uh, so you have to be stubborn on one end, but you have to carefully listen to the market on the other. Exactly. I think that's- Can you elaborate? The, uh, absolutely. I think that's the greatest dilemma one, one can have. Because for sure, as an entrepreneur, you will hear many people saying, you're talking about, that's, that's stupid. Your concept is completely stupid. And I, I hear that all the time. I, but I did, I, I, you have to listen to them because maybe they see something that you don't. So I went back and I looked and researched more and more, trying to figure out if what I'm envisioning is viable. So I learned about more and more about the insect protein market. I learned more. I asked the I asked myself their questions and tried to and I was trying to convince myself that I have answers for them. It's not answers for them. It's answers for myself. And since every time I found the answers, I decided to push forward and move forward. Um, and you know, when you don't have a good answer. You should go back and, and study more and learn. And maybe the reason you don't have a good answer is because there is no good answer. And sometimes it's just looking at the business from a different angle. Let me give you an example. When I started the business, uh, I knew that there is very high demand for grasshoppers in Africa. The market is big, the demand is there, even prices are there. And I started presenting it to investors. And unfortunately, I realized that no investors the investors are not willing to invest in a business that is going to Africa. They do not believe in that business. And that's really sad to realize. And eventually that made me change the, the business model, at least for the first part, to focus on Europe and the US as customers. Once I showed the investors that there is potential for the product in the US and Europe, they were willing to open their wallets and, 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 and invest. So I did listen to the market and I made some adjustments. and. Luckily for me, uh, I'm now able to uh, shift the business model a little bit more towards Africa and we are developing a few products, especially for the African market as we um, plan from day one. But again, you have to listen to the market and at the same time, continue do, doing what you believe in. Yeah, yeah cool. I always make that you, you've probably heard from the Simon Sinek cycle with uh, the why, how, and what. There's this uh, uh, easy to cover the starting with why. So you have the why on why you do things and why you believe it's important. And I think yep. that feedback on your personal why is irrelevant. So you don't have to listen to that. Uh, but you should really listen to uh, how you could get it to the market, how you could you get it to work, and what you should do. Uh, so uh, the feedback on the why challenging you to give up your dream is something that you should throw away and ignore. But the feedback on uh, how you get it to the market and what you do, the steps you take, those should, you should listen to feedback. So uh, um, that distinction always helps me. That, that, that is a very good distinction. However, I will tell you something else. I had many meetings with investors, let's call it professional investors and VCs and I learned something that is very, something that was very uh, surprising to me. In many meetings, I was 
I was pitching, I, I made my presentation. At the end, they said, you know what? The graph you just showed us, the market you just showed us, the product, the consumer, we want you to present it in a different way. We want you to think in a different way. And I'm not talking about the essence of the business. I'm talking about the cosmetics. So I went back home after those meetings and I started making all those adjustments, which meant a lot of work, a lot of time. And I sent an updated presentation asking for a new meeting. And I realized that when someone is sitting in front of you and is doing and providing you all these comments that are not really the essence of the business, you're not interesting to them. That's it. They just want you to feel that they have some interest in what you're doing. They want you to continue talking to them. They don't want to tell you no, but they're just wasting your time resources. And that's the most, that's the most important resource you have, time. Don't waste your time. Don't update your presentation after every meeting. Believe in what you're doing. Move forward. You'll find the right persons to talk to eventually. Now, is this also the uh, optimizing, optimizing, optimizing before you go out? Uh, so uh, uh, a good's good enough, 80%, and then just go tell the story and see who you meet, uh, who can then help you? I think there's a lot of stages to what you said. Uh, you know, when, we, when I decided to start, I just thought about the concept of feeding the world with alternative protein. I thought about insects. I realized that selling whole insects in, in the U.S. will not work. So I said, well, okay, let's, let's put them in, a, in food, like a steak made of insects. That was six years ago. No one talked about that. About that. And I called that venture Steak Tzartzal. That's a joke in Hebrew, like Steak Tzartzal. But in Hebrew, it means uh, steak made of crickets. And I had, uh, you know, the moment I thought about it, I went to the laptop, had a five-slide presentation saying, need protein, insects are good, put them in a steak, thank you. And I went out to the market and I met a few people and I presented that concept. And although the responses were yuck, eventually they said, you know what, you may have something here. And that made me move to the next stage, which was building the team, starting to develop. And even before we knew exactly what we're doing, we went out and we talked to people. It's really important to talk to people and not sit in your office, continue to optimize all the time. You will never get to your goal uh, before you need money or you need to sell the product. So go out, talk to people, learn from their responses, uh, and go back to the office and, and improve your product and presentation. Always listen to what you hear and eventually do what you believe in. Yeah, thanks. Uh, one more question. One of the uh, part of the group is also going now to our version of finance. So they, they are preparing a two-pager, a slide, a pitch deck, and also investment memorandum uh, to, yeah. uh, to go out for capital. But I see that uh, uh, quite a few people who are in that stage, they are uh, scared of uh, not knowing what they're getting themselves into because getting venture capital also brings uh, responsibility and expectations of the investor. Wow. So how have you experienced that part? Uh, because uh, um, you've described that your father had two companies already. So I'm presuming that uh, uh, sticking with money from uh, friends and family could well work. Um, yet you go out and do rounds of investment with venture capital. Uh, why would you do that? Uh, what, what, because you're risking a lot too. How are, you, how are you looking at that choice? Do I go for venture capital or do I do it organically? Well, I must say that as an entrepreneur, 
you don't have those you, you know you do have those options in the market but for real you don't have those options take whatever money you can it's really hard to waste funds we just mentioned the statistics so i don't care if it's coming from family and friends angels vcs government grants we will take <clears throat> whatever funds we can to develop the business that is one thing second thing is every new investor we added and i don't care if they invested ten thousand dollars or two million dollars felt like a huge burden uh you feel it that you're carrying the investors on your back because you took their money and they're looking uh that you will execute the business and and make them rich so it's not easy and day and night i see the list of names on the cap table and i know that i have a lot of responsibility towards them however if you really want to grow your business and become successful, you have to take that money and move forward. So I would look into the opportunities. And again, I think it's not a matter of using VC for uh, this VC's uh, funding or uh, family and friends. It's more about the stage you're at. At the beginning, most VCs will not care about you. It's too early for them. So family and friends and angels are your solution. And as you move forward and you grow, it will be the right time to approach VCs. But the, with the VCs comes a lot of burden. How are, you, how are you coping with that? Do you spend a lot of time on managing those expectations? Does it take a lot of your uh, energy and, uh, and, and effort? Absolutely. Actually, with each investor, but with the VCs much more, uh, they have expectations to get periodical uh, reports. And um, usually when we sign an agreement, we are committing to a quarterly report. However, I learned that if you keep very good and close relations with your investors, they can actually support you in many ways beyond just the money. So what I'm doing is I have a monthly call. I, I'm distributing a monthly report to all the investors, and I have monthly meetings or calls with the lead investors, sharing with them mainly the pain, the challenges, where we are stuck, where we're not meeting the goals, where we want to go forward, and having them part of that discussion first uh, build strengthen the connection meaning on the next funding round they will be willing to invest a little bit more and support your efforts and this also makes them more um, committed to the venture and so many times they come up with solutions that help us help us move forward from uh, in stages that we got completely stuck so it's I, it's not only about taking their money, it's making them your partners, making them part of your team. And the bigger the team, uh, the stronger you are. We had uh, Justin Kutze uh, uh, from Go Metro in the in the Ask Me Anything sessions before. He's also an alumni from the uh, Get in the Ring. I don't know if you've met him uh, in one of the events from uh, from Get in the Ring. Justin from Go Metro. Have you met him or not? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. But uh, um, uh, he has an, uh, a travel and transportation uh, app uh, that he uh, uh, offers to uh, underdeveloped countries for, to manage their uh, uh, transportation. Um, right. But uh, he, he, had a, he had one of the th things he said, which uh, uh, stayed with me, is that he has a commercial director that he hires that if he um, uh, isn't successful, if they are not delivering upon expectations, at least he has someone to fire. <laughs> a kind of a scapegoat. So he gave us the advice to uh, make sure you hire a commercial director that you can fire um, in case uh, you're not delivering because uh, um, you then have a story again to your investors. What you are um, describing 
is uh, also a bit of being vulnerable and sharing your problems with your investors so that they can offer you help. How do you balance the fact? Do you recognize Justin's advice? Uh, how are you doing that? And how do you cope with the, uh, so it's a double question. How do you cope with the vu being vulnerable at the same time having to keep them with you uh, um, as investors? Well, unfortunately, I will not join his uh, uh, advice. Um, the thing is, the way I see it, I'm the lead entrepreneur. It is my vision. It is my responsibility to anything that happens in the company. Meaning, we have a CTO. He's one of the founders of the company. I added him at an early stage before the investors were in. But we, if we are failing in research, it, it is me to blame first. Meaning, instead of having someone sheltering me, protecting me from the investors, I'm actually the one protecting the team. I want the team to work their night to be committed and I want no one to, um, to disturb their work. So I'm the one connecting directly to our, uh, communicating with the investors and the team is safe and they know they can work. And if the investors are not happy with something that is happening, well, my head is, is it will, be, will go first. So it is about my commitment to the project. It is my belief. And eventually, you know what? Investors usually are not investing in businesses. They invest in the people because there is no business at the beginning. It has to be you that carries the load. And if you, do, you will not do that, they will not believe in you and they will not invest eventually. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I agree on that. Uh, I do see, however, quite some uh, at the current COVID times where, where uh, startups and scale-ups are, uh, are struggling. I do see some uh, vacancies popping up with commercial directors and then I always have to think of Judge Justin's pitch. <laughs> well, I can tell you that uh, we've been contacted by so many commercial uh, managers asking for a job in the last two or three months. <laughs> I, I, I wish we had the funds to hire one because I'm the one handling uh, sales and marketing right now. It's not my real business. So we will be happy to hire one, not in order to have someone to fail. We want them to be successful. I believe that's the greatest uh, job we can offer in the company because we have so many consumers and other businesses contacting us, asking for the product, asking for joint ventures. It's, it's a, it will be a success in any case. So you know, I can joke that I'm not hiring anyone because I want to keep all the success to myself, but it's just a matter of, of uh, funding. So uh, if we will raise a little bit more money, the first thing we'll have is a commercial manager that will handle the sales and I believe he will do he or she will do much better job than I'm doing. I'm sure of, of that. I'm not, but uh, I, I, <laughs> <You'll see. laughs> uh, probably humbleness. Uh, thanks for sharing your story. Uh, as a parting uh, remark, uh, what would be an advice that you've given so, a, a lot of advisors along the way during this Ask Me Anything session already? But as a parting advice to the students that are now uh, starting up their business or already running their businesses, what would, you, uh, what would you advise them? I would say two things. One is start today. As Nike are saying, just do it. Start doing today. Don't try to learn too much and, and research too much. Go out and do it. On the other hand, try to learn as much as you can and what you want to do. And be sure that you will never be able to learn how many challenges and difficulties you are going to tackle along the way. You will never know that. Be sure just you will have them day and night, every day, and just 
be prepared and have the energy to overcome them. That's the difference. You know, when you talk about an entrepreneur, usually people say that's the guys with the great ideas. Well, no, that's not the right answer. The best description is that's the guys that overcome the challenges. Thanks so much for, for being here. Again, a big thank you also for, uh, to Leon and again in the ring for organizing you to be with us here in Global School. Uh, we will certainly keep in touch. And uh, thanks for sharing your amazing story. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. And uh, I hope next time we'll be able to taste the products as well. Yes, definitely. You should definitely come and see us uh, in, in Amsterdam once uh, traveling is allowed again. Exactly. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye Take out. care. Bye-bye.